Listener Production. Hey guys, Katrina Blau is here with you. Well, Boris Johnson has resigned as British Prime Minister after a series of scandals meant his party could no longer support him. Johnson will be remembered most for his role in Brexit, but then there's Partygate, where Johnson and his staff held parties in Downing Street while the rest of the country was under COVID lockdown. He gets to do that chaotic shtick when things are going okay. When things aren't going okay, that funny man routine, well, the joke's on us. So the chaos, the lies, Johnson's reputation, his history of poor decision-making. How did he even remain in office for so long? And what will Great Britain look like now under new leadership? The changing face of the UK. That is our briefing topic today. It is Tuesday, July 12. That's coming up in just a moment. But first, Annika Smethurst is back with us for today's headlines. The Prime Minister will be joined by representatives from the US, India and Japan for high-level talks over the next two days for an energy forum where energy security and decarbonisation will be top of the agenda. Yeah, so Anthony Albanese is set to open this forum by saying our region is at the front line of the climate crisis. He's going to point out that 70% of the world's natural disasters occur in our region and in 2019 more than 90 million people in the Indo-Pacific were affected by climate-related disasters. That's a huge amount of people. Yeah, he's also going to say we need to increase our renewable energy supplies around six times what it is now to meet the future demand. Now, Anthony Albanese will also underscore his government's stronger climate policies compared to the last government, saying Australia is again a trusted global partner on climate action. Yeah, so Annika, I'm imagining that this is somewhere where the PM is going to make some real ground. Uh, Relationships around the world were strained by the Morrison government's inability to commit to a more ambitious 2030 emissions reduction target. Do you think that this is uh, a nice sort of own goal here for the PM? A little bit. And look, it's good to see a Prime Minister that's comfortable talking about this. We know that Malcolm Turnbull uh, was a proponent of uh, clean energy, but he, he struggled to talk about it within his own party. Previous to that, we had the climate wars, you know, where it was very difficult for Labor to talk about this. Tony Appent really weaponised it. It's been chaotic, this sort of policy area, for a long time. But finally, we have a government that was elected with mandate to do something about this. So they feel comfortable speaking about it both internally and on a global stage. And it just provides a real certainty, I guess, and a way forward after so many chaotic years. It's hoped SMS scams will be a thing of the past. And wouldn't that be great news as the communications watchdog launches a crackdown? Telcos are now required to identify, trace and block SMS scams from making their way onto your phones. We know that SMS scams have a real impact on Australians. We found that um, over $6.5 million was reported lost in the very first three months of this year alone, and that was a 188% increase on the same period last year. That was ACMA Chair Nerida O'Loughlin there. Now, telcos could face fines of up to a quarter of a million dollars if they fail to comply. So this is all after a similar crackdown on scam calls has meant that the frequency of scam texts has skyrocketed. 
And if you've been flying lately, you might relate to this next story. Our major airlines are on track to record one of their worst on-time performances ever. Yeah, this comes as no surprise to me. Uh, More than half of all domestic flights last week were delayed or cancelled. So the on-time performance for Qantas was 44%. 43 for Virgin, while one in seven of Virgin's flights were cancelled. Qantas was at one in 14. The issues are happening because of the busy school holiday period, plus a staffing crisis with so many people sick, and there's been a bout of really bad weather. A third of the workforce has also left the industry following the pandemic. We could get a decision soon in the Chris Dawson murder trial. Dawson stands accused of the death of his wife, Lynette, who vanished from Sydney's northern beaches back in the 80s. The prosecution has argued he wanted to have an unfettered relationship with the family's babysitter. The defence submitted Lynette Dawson may have abandoned her husband due to his infidelity. The judge has indicated he hopes to deliver a decision relatively quickly following the two-month-long trial. 73-year-old Chris Dawson has pleaded not guilty. And Sri Lankan President Gotabaya Rajapaksa has announced he will resign tomorrow. Protesters have been calling for him to step down for months over the country's worsening economic crisis. Yeah, so there's 22 million people who live in Sri Lanka. It is super grim. Uh, There's been food and gas shortages. Over the weekend, protesters even stormed the presidential palace. I don't know if you saw that footage, Annika. It was just extraordinary. People going through into the gym, on the treadmill, swimming in the swimming pool and even eating food from the kitchens. Walking inside... Um, felt really surreal. Um, It was very overwhelming to see the extent of luxury while people were dying in queues, starving, having one meal every other day. Yeah, if you haven't seen the footage, track it down. Protesters say they won't leave until both the Prime Minister and President have gone, so they're staying put at the palace. Yeah, and this situation in Sri Lanka is unlikely to get better until a foreign bailout is secured. So very sad news for Sri Lanka and let's hope that things do start to improve soon. All right, Anika, up next we are going to take a deep dive into UK politics, just what happened to get to this point with Boris Johnson resigning and what's next for the leadership. As recently as last October, Boris Johnson looked pretty untouchable as British PM with a huge majority. He'd gotten Brexit done. He'd rolled out a successful early vaccination strategy for the UK. And then Partygate happened. The revelations that a series of drunken events had taken place at Number 10 Downing Street while the rest of the UK was in a super harsh COVID lockdown. Many people couldn't see their dying loved ones attend funerals. They had to cancel their weddings. It was the tipping point for a PM that eventually led to a string of events that culminated in his resignation last week. 
Prime Minister has lost uh, the confidence of a very large part of his uh, parliamentary party. This is a night of resignations. It's gone too far. He has to go. Because he's a buffoon. He's an idiot and you can't trust him. Yes, yeah, so to unpick all of this for us and give us an insight into what's next for the UK leadership is Latika Burke, who covers UK politics for the Sydney Morning Herald. And she joins us from London for the briefing now. Latika Burke, thank you so much for joining us. Now, for people in Australia who are are looking at this, scratching their heads, trying to figure out how did we get here, what was the turning point? I think from the outside looking in, Partygate seemed to be that real line in the sand, but then he survived. So what happened that finally caused Boris Johnson's undoing? I think you're exactly right. It was the revelations that there were a series of parties held in Number 10 during lockdown that really triggered this all and then it escalated and snowballed. But you're right, it didn't immediately get him. And I think there are two factors at play here. One, you've got to remember that Boris Johnson, although winning a huge landslide just two years ago, is actually a very divisive figure within his own party and that's because he headed Brexit. Now, there's a sizable chunk in the Tory party who lost that vote and have never forgiven Boris Johnson for it. So there's a feeling inside the party that they were always kind of out to get him. Uh, There was also a feeling inside the party that Boris Johnson, when he was installed to be leader, had two jobs. One was to win that 2019 election. The second was to deliver Brexit. Now he's delivered both of those and everybody's worst fears came true. He was chaotic in government. He was not a very good administrator. He was all the things that they thought he would be as prime minister and none of them good. So roll on to the pandemic and he oversaw a very good vaccine rollout here, the fastest in Europe. That did buy him a a lot of credibility despite a, a poor start to the pandemic. But then the revelations came late last year that there were all these parties held in number 10. Now, it's important to stress that Boris Johnson himself, it's not like he was actually hosting these parties. It was mainly his staff and actually civil servants. But what really did emerge were two things. One was that Boris Johnson lied about them, unequivocally lied, and he got caught lying. And I think actually that was the worst sin. And that was what really tipped it over for a lot in his party. And the second thing to remember about Partygate is that although it should have been a sackable offence for anyone, because Boris Johnson is always that kind of maverick figure, he did kind of get through that and everyone thought, gee, maybe he'll even wriggle out of this one. The real, um, I guess, straw that broke that proverbial camel's back was a couple of weeks ago there was this revelation that one of his MPs got drunk in, in a private members club and started groping two staffers and they complained. Then it emerged that Number 10 had known about the bad behaviour of this MP and lied to MPs and sent them out to defend him. So what we really actually have is many, many incidents adding up to two things, that number 10 and Boris Johnson, the head of number 10, were lying, and two, that they just couldn't run government in any ethical or any organised decent way. And that's really what brought him down. Let's dive into that incident. It was Chris Pincher who who was appointed as Deputy Chief Whip. And, I mean, Boris Johnson is even reported to have joked about Chris Pincher in the past saying, you know, Pincher by name, Pincher by nature. What was it about this particular incident that was different to other scandals that have rocked Boris Johnson? 
it actually wasn't that different because there's been a, a number of sex pest scandals, they call them here. Um, famously, everyone calls Westminster Pestminster. To be honest, Westminster really does have a problem with this and it's not been addressed properly by any leader. I've actually wrote a piece on the weekend saying this is going to continue to bring prime ministers down if they don't get a grip on the culture in Westminster. But what was really defining about this incident is that it was another example and it was just one too many where the prime minister had lied about what he'd previously known. And that for many people was the real turning point. In fact, some of the sex scandals that have rocked his government and indeed the Conservative Party over the entire of its uh, life in, in its last government have actually been far worse than this. And they didn't bring him down necessarily. But what this really exposed was that he was just continuing this pattern of behaviour, of lying to his MPs, lying to the country and lying to his cabinet. You described uh, Boris Johnson earlier as a maverick, and I think that was one of the things that endeared him to a lot of people, at least initially, is that he didn't look like your typical politician. He wasn't certainly uh, smooth talking. He seemed to kind of speak like a regular human, you know, he, and he certainly made a few mistakes. And, and I think initially people kind of liked him for that. He also, uh, the way that he looks, he, he's not very polished. He, he looks like he's been dragged through a hedge backwards on, on most days. <laughs> when did it become a point against him that that he wasn't like other politicians? I actually don't know that it did. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that, that Johnson really did achieve a very unique chemistry and a very unique connection with the British public. And to be honest, one of the reasons why he stayed as Prime Minister so long after so many scandals is because there's no one in the party that's coming after him that's able to demonstrate such a unique connection. And certainly the opposition, the Labor Party, have not been able to demonstrate a connection with the public like Boris Johnson had. And I would say actually has still to some degree. But the whole chaotic shtick that he does, it's all put on. None of that is by accident. He does this deliberately. He pretends to be disorganised. He pretends to be unprepared. He pretends to be flying by the seat of his pants. Actually, the whole thing is an act and he repeats it and he repeats it. I'm not massively sure that the chaotic thing was what tipped it over. It was the unethical way of behaving. And also that there was this sense that, okay, buddy, you really have served your purpose. You're not doing us any good from here on in. Now's our time to move. And boy, did they move. I know that in Australia, the way that politicians behave towards the media, particularly during those moments of a side, you know, before and after press conferences, are things that can really grate on journalists and can ultimately lead to journalists changing their tune or their narrative and, and turning against some politicians in some election campaigns. How was Boris Johnson to the media in person? Was he charming? Was he disdainful? What was he like to deal with? I mean, Boris Johnson is a former journalist himself, a former columnist, and he's actually got a, a pretty good relationship with the media, I would say. But uh, one crucial difference between the way that the Australian press and the Australian Prime Minister might operate to the British one is that you just see far, far less of them. The British Prime Minister, on average, taking aside the COVID pandemic when they're holding press conferences every day, they might only hold a, a news conference 
every few months. It's not like it's every day or every week that you might see in Australia. So the access and the interaction is firstly limited. When you do see Boris Johnson privately, and I've certainly spoken to him privately, he's he's very charming, very much what you'd expect. What you see on that on the TV, that's the same act that you get in person. It really was the deceit combined with all the other factors around him that added up. And he gets to do that chaotic shtick when things are going okay. When things aren't going okay, that funny man routine, well, the joke's on us. So ultimately, what do you think people are going to make of his legacy? You mentioned earlier he actually did quite well during the vaccine rollout in the early days of the pandemic. But do you think ultimately the lies are going to be what Boris Johnson will be remembered for? No, I think what Boris Johnson will be remembered for is Brexit. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Him leading that campaign turned this country's fortunes around. Uh, I interviewed Jacob Rees-Mogg, who's one of the the very arch Brexiteers here, and he said to me, on the record, we would not have won the Leave campaign if Boris Johnson had not joined us. And everybody thinks that's true, and I certainly do as well. He is probably uh, one of the most consequential prime ministers that Britain will have. That doesn't mean he's the most liked or he's the most popular or he did the most positive stuff, but it certainly means that when you look back in history, he is a prime minister that changed Britain's course. So where to from here? We've had a few people put their names forward or a few names emerge so far. Do you think the next leader of Britain will be someone completely different to Boris Johnson? Yes, I do. And I also think completely different for Britain. There's going to be probably at least a dozen candidates throw their names forward by the end of Wednesday, which is when is the first vote of MPs who who have the first deciding say. And one of the really striking things is that the least represented demographic or category are stale pale males. So far, there's only two white men running for this contest. Everybody else is either a woman or somebody uh, from an Asian background, someone from a Middle Eastern background, someone from an ethnic background, or both. We have uh, some women here who have Asian backgrounds and some women who are contesting who are black. This is actually a really, really exciting moment for Britain. It's not something you could say would be happening in the Labor Party here, and it's certainly not a contest that you would see take place in Australia yet. So whoever comes after Boris Johnson, it could be a Rishi or it could be a Nadim, it could be a Sajid, it could be a Sawella. These are not names like Anthony or Scott, are they? No, they're certainly not. Well, I can't thank you enough for giving us a breakdown on everything that's been happening. What an exciting time for you to be covering UK politics. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I must say this has been some time coming and when it came, it was as spectacular and sensational the way it all played out as you could imagine. So uh, it is actually a really, really exciting time to see not just this contest and the drama, but also a big kind of reset in British politics taking place. And that was UK correspondent Latika Burke from the Sydney Morning Herald. And I guess while instability is never great in politics, what I took from all of that is with change comes opportunity. And the opportunity, as Latika mentioned, that 
this now represents is a new era of representation and a fresh start. Uh, Last time around, it took several rounds of voting for Conservative MPs in Britain to decide on a leader. And the British Parliament goes into its summer recess pretty soon. It's hoped there'll be two front runners selected by then, which is uh, later on this month, with a final decision to be made by the time the party conference happens in October. So we should have an answer by then. And tomorrow on The Briefing, we're going back to that topic of the housing affordability, which just doesn't seem to be getting any better. How it's affecting you. Listener.